Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to dominate your career, then you are in the right place. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. And Monica Marquez, ex-Googler, diversity expert, and senior corporate leader. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Welcome to the Beyond Barriers Habits and Hacks show. Do you have a career-related question that you're uncomfortable asking your peers, managers, or mentors? We're here to address your questions. The fear of being perceived as inadequate prevents us from asking, but it causes us to pay a high price in every aspect of our lives, in lost income, slower career progress, limited access to leadership roles, and potential risk to our well-being. So learn to ask and start by asking us. So here's a question we got from our listeners. The question is, what do you wish you had known before taking your first management role? So Nikki, let's start with you. What were some of the lessons you learned that you can share with our listeners so they can be better prepared as new managers? Well, the first lesson I learned was uh, straight out of business school, getting Mm -hmm. into my first management role, was um, so much of what you learn in school is theory. Right. And a lot of uh, what is taught in those textbooks don't quite translate as well when you're dealing (laughs) with real human beings and real emotions and real complexity of the workplace. Mm -hmm. So you have to, uh, you know, take what applies from the theory, but really rely on your own judgment and Mm -hmm. instincts and Mm -hmm. common sense, really, um, that at the end of the day, you're dealing with people People have needs, people Mm -hmm. have emotions, and if you focus too much on doing things by the book, you might ultimately do it all wrong. So that was uh, a bit of an adjustment, especially, you know, when you're a freshly minted MBA, there's a bit of a desire to, uh, you know, say, oh my gosh, I've mastered all this theory, I got to do exactly as they taught me. Uh, but it doesn't quite translate as well. So no. regardless of what you're graduating from and what you might have known before when you first transition into a management role, um, you know, keep in mind that while there's a lot of good theory out there, the uh, terrific lessons that are taught, but every human being is unique. Every workplace can mm-hmm. be unique because of its culture, its values, and uh, what drives the collective needs of the individuals within that organization. So be sure to apply you know, your own judgment to that. You mm-hmm. know, use common sense. And when in doubt, just have a conversation with the right. people you might uh, be struggling to connect with. The second lesson I learned was in transitioning from an individual contributor to a manager. Right. That's As, a hard one. Uh, it is um, because when you are the expert, mm-hmm. you're really valued and recognized for the expertise you have. Mm-hmm. And so you want to be the best. You want to be the smartest in the room. You want to show people how much you know. But right. when you switch to a management role, when you become a manager or leader, uh, it really isn't about being the smartest in the room. In fact, if you are, that makes you a pretty weak leader. Mm. Uh, You want to surround yourself with people way smarter than yourself. Uh, You want to make sure that you're empowering them and uh, allowing them to bring their expertise, um, their skills and competencies to the table so that collectively you as a team can be 
uh, really effective in solving, you know, the uh, organizational challenges or goals that you're set out to do. Um, but you really don't want to be in a position where you're threatened by other people's expertise right, or exactly. other people being better than you, and then constantly hire people that are uh, simply following you because then you become the weakest link. Well, and it also will inhibit your promotion, right? Because if you are stuck being the smartest person on your team, sometimes your direct reports or your managers may not want to pull you out of that because you haven't groomed anybody to take your spot and we, so that you can move up. Absolutely. I think having a mindset of constant succession planning is mm -hmm. really effective. So if you want to move one level out, mm -hmm. the only way you can do that is if someone is ready and capable and willing to take mm -hmm. your spot. So who have you been grooming for that role? And are they even better than you were? Right. Almost to the point where they, you know, they are so ready to take your role and do it even better than you did that it pushes you up. Right. And hopefully you're uh, getting ready for the next step up yourself. But bottom line is, I think that transition from um, an individual contributor to a leader mm -hmm. can often cause people to still behave in a way where their need for validation comes from their own knowledge, their own right. expertise, and their own uh, sort of dominance in the space. And so letting go of that mm -hmm. and really thinking about it from the perspective of, you know, I'm only as good as my team and my team absolutely needs to be better than me. Right. That's actually extremely important. And I'm glad you brought that up because I found, you know, working in the organizations I did that that's what most new managers struggle with because we, we hire people, like you said, based on their merit and because they're so good at what they were doing as an individual contributor that we sometimes forget and we automatically assume because they were so good in what they were doing that they'd be an awesome manager, but they, <laughs> they end up having a really hard time letting go and, and not be, you know, giving up the whole individual contributor piece of it. Right. Well, then the next thing is uh, learning how to delegate because you mm, go from yes. doing to delegating. And the key to delegation is to recognize that it's neither micromanagement nor is it abdication. Mm. And quite often, um, I've personally struggled with it, but I've also seen a lot of new managers struggle with the same yes. thing, which is um, either you want to do it yourself because you do it you know, well and mm -hmm. you know it, mm -hmm. so you're hesitant to give it to someone who may not have the same level of competency or experience. Right. Or when you do delegate it, you want to micromanage and tell them exactly step-by-step step how to be uh, doing that or watching over their shoulder. Mm -hmm. uh, or you go the complete opposite direction, which is you tell them what needs to be done, you delegate it, and then you just disappear yes. and you never check in. <laughs> uh, so that's not okay either. That's abdication when mm -hmm. you simply sort of punt the ball, if you mm -hmm. will, and mm -hmm. just disappear. Because remember, you still have the accountability, regardless mm -hmm. of whether you're doing it, delegating, or, or exactly. delegating it well or not so well, you're still accountable. That mm -hmm. accountability doesn't go away. So learning the art of delegation, uh, first of all, being able to let go and not do it yourself. Secondly, mm -hmm. letting go, but not losing sight of accountability. And thirdly, letting go in a way that the other person can figure out how to do it um, their way mm -hmm. and, and give them enough room to develop the competency and the effectiveness so that you do get the right outcome at the right time. That is uh, the key to effective delegation. And that is a huge transition right. from being, you know, when you first get into a manager role. That's an excellent point. But let's dig into that a little bit more. How do you make, you know, how do you delegate and what is the right amount of oversight? 
Yeah, that's a great question because um, it really is a spectrum where on one side is micromanagement and really crowding the person, mm-hmm. and the, on the other side is punting the ball and never looking back. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes down to knowing how to effectively delegate and hold accountability. So mm-hmm. the key steps in this is when, first of all, you need to make sure you're delegating to someone who's capable of mm-hmm. accepting that responsibility. Right. Simply finding anyone and saying, here's what I want you to do when they may not be ready or they may not have the bandwidth at that point in time or uh, they simply don't have the skills Mm -hmm. is not effective delegation. At the end of the day, delegation really is about you being accountable to get something done that you empower your team to do. Mm -hmm. But um, allocating the right person to do the right thing at the right time is absolutely essential. So step number one is make sure you're delegating to the right person. Step number two is having the conversation with them to make sure they understand what responsibility they're assuming. They're not assuming the accountability, they're assuming the responsibility. Mm, So explaining what needs to get done, by when, and how you want the deliverable to look like, Mm -hmm. even specifying in what format, you Mm -hmm. know, being that clear um, and why it matters. Being able to explain the what, when, how, and why Mm -hmm. is important. Once you explain that, then the third step is confirming that they understand Mm -hmm. exactly what you want and having them uh, reframe that back to you, Mm -hmm. you have them verbalize or, you know, express back to you exactly what they understood. Because sometimes you may explain it really well, but for whatever reason, they understand or take away something different. So having them uh, reframe that back to you is really effective. And then the final step is confirming that they're willing to as- accept that responsibility. Right. Um, it's a little bit like Mission Impossible. You right. know? <laughs> Should you be willing to take this, then you know, here's what the task is. So being able to, um, um, asking them to accept that responsibility and confirming that if they do accept it, here's what they'll be accountable for ensures that now you have that uh, proper handoff in place. Mm -hmm. And then also within that, um, between giving them that responsibility to the time that it's due, setting up some checkpoints in advance. Mm -hmm. So you know, okay, there's going to be three checkpoints between now and the deadline. The first one, I expect to see this. Mm -hmm. Here's the milestone. The second one, I expect to see this. Mm. This is how far you should be. And the third, you know, we should be close to being done. And then also clarifying uh, you know, that you are there to support and mm-hmm. you need to hear from them exactly where they're stuck, what are some of the roadblocks in the way and exactly what will help to remo- remove the roadblocks right. because your role now becomes, you know, your uh, the traffic cop. Mm-hmm. Your job is to clear the path right. so they okay. can go through fast, but they're still in the driver's seat. You're simply being the traffic cop. So setting all of that up front makes them feel empowered and supported as opposed to crowded mm-hmm. or abandoned. Right. You don't want them to exactly. feel either. So again, you know, cl- make sure you delegate to the right person. Make sure you are clear exactly what is expected by when, how, mm-hmm. and why it matters. Make sure you get them to repeat mm-hmm. so you confirm understanding, verify and clarify the understanding. Um, make sure you set some milestones and expectations of mm-hmm. what to check for in between. And finally, uh, commit to supporting and being the traffic cop that will clear any roadblocks in their way so that they can move forward smoothly. That's a fantastic analogy of being the traffic cop and clearing the way. So that's awesome.
Um, well, and all of these lessons are really uh, the big ones that come about, but there's uh, the ultimate lesson that mm -hmm. any manager eventually learns is uh, letting go of being liked mm, and, yes. focusing on, <laughs> and, and focusing on being uh, trusted and respected mm -hmm. because it's a natural human instinct to want to be liked, mm -hmm. uh, to belong, um, and to be part of the crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, so effectively, when you uh, become a manager or leader, you're, so you um, are put in a position where you have to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And when you decide, you effectively divide. Some people will <laughs> agree mm -hmm. with it and some people will not. But you have to keep moving forward with doing what's right, mm -hmm. not what's easy. And if that is the case, you have to prepare yourself that you are likely to be disliked for the decision you're making. Right. Or people may just not like the decision whether they like you or not. Mm -hmm. um, but as long as they understand your reasons and your reasons are sound and your reasons are fair, mm -hmm. And you have been transparent about expressing why that matters to the organization, mm -hmm. then you are uh, in a position to at least be trusted and respected, even if you're not liked. But letting right. go of the need to be liked is a very important one. And it's one where I've seen over and over so many capable people really struggling to be effective managers because they simply can't let go of the need to be liked. Right. They still it hold is, on to that one. desire yes. to, uh, to be liked, to be popular. Mm -hmm. um, you can't uh, choose popularity. You have to uh, choose you know, being decisive. So what about you, Monica? What are some of the important lessons that you learned as a manager? So for me, I think... Um, the biggest lesson was really learning what a manager really meant to be. <laughs> so, and what I mean by that is that, you know, you do become, you, you switch, like you said, from being the individual contributor to now managing a team and delegating and still being responsible for the work, but you're doing work that you love to do and you're still in the midst of that. But the administrative side of becoming a manager is when that kind of hits you and it's kind of like one of those moments where it's a moment of panic, right? Because then you realize you're responsible for this team of people and their career development mm -hmm. and their professional development. And what that entails is really coming up with career development plans for them and putting them in a system that, you know, all of the comments and the performance reviews you put in the system are going to follow this employee for the rest of their career at that organization. Mm -hmm. So you have to really understand the how important it is that you put th you thoughtful, um, you know, thought into it, and you give the dedicate the time to really help develop each one of your individuals. And so I think those are the things that I realized and I didn't realize how much time it took for each individual. <laughs> and so I learned really quickly after my first year being a manager that you can't just cram and have two all-nighters where you're writing these performance reviews for people because you want to make sure that it's, it's really setting them up for success. So for me, that was one of the biggest things that I learned is that, you know, you are responsible for your team and you want to develop them to be the best and better than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, the, it kind of alludes to some of the, what you were talking about earlier about being liked. Mm -hmm. um, and as individuals sometimes delivering negative feedback or ongoing feedback is difficult because you, you don't want to say something or give fe tough feedback to somebody um, for the fear of like, oh, they're not going to like me because I'm going to give them candid feedback. And you have to learn as a manager that it's not just 
during the mid-year review or the year-end review that you're giving them feedback, but that you're giving them constant feedback, um, you know, during your weekly meetings or sometimes it might even be daily. So learning that, you know, the true concept of ongoing feedback where people aren't going to necessarily just, you know, hear feedback and be, and be shocked because they've never heard it before. Yeah, I think um, treating it like an ongoing conversation mm -hmm. where it's not just the only time you have a one-on-one -on -one is when you've got some kind of, uh, you know, growth feedback or some mm -hmm. kind of performance improvement communication happens. That creates panic on the team because they right. know as soon as you're scheduling the meeting, it's probably not good news. And, right. and so you don't want to set that kind of precedent versus having an ongoing dialogue and a real relationship mm -hmm. where um, the ratio quite often, I think it's called the golden ratio or something of that sort, where you have a three is to one mm -hmm. ratio of three uh, good things and one growth area mm -hmm. of recognizing them for the things that they're doing that's contributing and adding value and mm -hmm. the one area of improvement. If there's that kind of cadence on an ongoing basis, then it's less likely to be received as something that uh, people dread and right. it opens up the relationship. That, that's perfect. And I love that it is the golden rule of three to one. And for whatever reason, statistically, people accept the area of growth when it's kind of <laughs> softened with the three positives. Yeah. So I love that. Um, the other thing that I think for me was a, a big one is um, making sure you were planning for your meetings and making sure they were productive. Because before you become a manager, you just kind of show up to the team meetings and you're like, okay, hey, what's on the agenda? And you have to learn really quickly when you're managing the meetings that, well, you're in charge of the agenda and you want to make sure that, you know, you're not wasting time. So I do, you know, remember one of the things that, you know, one of my mentors and one of my sponsors told me is like, listen, think about the agenda because if what is on the agenda isn't um, critical, then give your people the time back so they can get their work done. Mm -hmm. Because you'll learn really quickly that, you, you know, and we all know, I mean, I'm sure even those of you who are listening have so many meetings that you're like, when am I going to get my work done? So really making sure that you're setting up and having productive meetings is was key for me that I learned really quickly. Um, your team will really yeah, invite for that. only the people that need to be in the meeting, right. uh, make the meeting only as long as it needs to be not a minute more, not a minute less. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to set up meetings that are an hour long. Right. Um, they can be 20 minutes. Um, yeah. And and then be sure to establish a clear purpose, agenda, and an outcome so people know why they're meeting, mm -hmm. how the meeting will be run, and what everyone can expect to walk out of that meeting with. Yeah. Um, so being able to create some structure to that will ensure that uh, you know the cadence of your meetings is highly effective. And one of my favorites for this is um, how Jeff Bezos, uh, the CEO of Amazon, runs mm -hmm. his meetings. He's, it's legendary, his approach uh -huh. for meetings, which is um, no one is, uh, you know, the, whoever is the host of the meeting has to prepare a, a written brief mm -hmm. of what needs to be discussed, debated, or decided at the meeting. Mm -hmm. And it's in written form, not in bullet points, but in actual, almost like a white paper-like mm -hmm. preparation. But what that does is it forces the host of the meeting to really think through um, exactly how to navigate the decision making and mm -hmm. what inputs they need from various people. And they're really putting forth a case for what um, is uh, being discussed. Um, and they share that um, at the meeting mm -hmm. and everyone 
spends the first several minutes sitting quietly and simply reading the brief, mm-hmm. not talking, uh, not jumping ahead, but simply being able to read that brief thoughtfully and only then getting into the debate and discussion and finally ending up with a thorough decision. So I mm-hmm. think that is uh, really powerful as opposed to what you see in a lot of organizations, mm-hmm. which is people showing up to meetings. They have no clue what it's about. Everyone's already thinking about what's next right. and how, or opening up their laptop and like continuing to review emails or respond to emails right. while someone is talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's different types of meetings, whether it's the brainstorming, meeting or decision-making meeting Mm -hmm. or just an FYI, keeping everyone updated on um, the progress of Mm -hmm. a certain project. So know what kind of meeting it is, who needs to be there, how long, and what you want out of it. Yeah, no, that's absolutely perfect. And then finally, I think the one thing that I um, really took to heart as a manager is realizing that you now become somewhat of the protector of your team members. Mm -hmm. And you have to make sure that, you know, one, again, you know your team really well, right, from a career development perspective and what they want and what they want to achieve and things like that. So when you go behind closed doors in terms of promotion or performance review or comp, that you are really going to bat for your team and really getting getting for them what they deserve. And um, as long as you've been keeping up with the whole career development and the performance reviews, then you'll have all of the really um, evidence that you need to fight for them and, mm-hmm. to, and to really going to bat and giving them the air cover that they need. Yeah, because effectively you are now the sponsor. Exactly, exactly. Well, excellent. Uh, so we've got some uh, excellent takeaways for everyone, which is uh, number one, you are, as a manager, you're as good as your team. So be sure to build a strong team mm-hmm. of people that are better than you. Get to know them, know their motivations, their hopes and desires so you can uh, lead them effectively. Number two, uh, don't aspire to be liked. Focus on being trusted and respected. Because as a manager, you have to make decisions. You have to do the right thing. So be transparent mm-hmm. um, and focus on uh, leading with the right decisions for the organization mm-hmm. and for the people. And number three, um, have ongoing conversations instead of sudden feedback um, mm-hmm. that creates dread on your team. Um, you know. Uh, you are there to guide them to be the best leaders. You're there to um, be their sponsor in their career. So Mm -hmm. have that ongoing conversation, which will also help you at the time of performance reviews and being able to represent them um, in their career journeys. Okay. So there you have it, everyone. Uh, Go on and share your comments and takeaways on our social channels. And if you have a burning question, ask us. This is a safe space for you to get the answers that you need. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode. Thanks for listening. There are thousands of podcasts out there and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode. And be sure to take the quiz on the website. Your score will tell you where you are, what helps you gain momentum, and what holds you back. You'll also get a free guide with cutting-edge career strategies. We'd also love to hear from you. Share your comments and topic suggestions on IamBeyondBarriers.com and we'll be sure to address them in future episodes. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and rate the podcast or just tell a friend about it. See you next episode.